Hi, I'm Marion Evans from Elevate BC and welcome to the exclusively Elevate podcast series. These episodes are our way of providing you with free insight and advice in your business journey. Through the series, we'll be discussing a range of topics with successful business leaders and prolific media broadcasters, such as Andrew Byrne from ITV News and the BAFTA-winning comedian and presenter Rod Gilbert. Welcome to episode six. On the previous episode, I discussed how amateurs compete and professionals create with Mandy Sinjin Davy, property investor and entrepreneur. This podcast is the first of a two-parter with my longtime friend, the legend that is comedian, presenter, and BAFTA Cymru winning Rod Gilbert. In this podcast, Rod and I discuss the topic of imposter syndrome. Hope you enjoy, and please review us if you have time. I call it the donut and the hole. Don't focus on the hole. That is the hole, that person. Focus on the donut, which is the rest of the laughter, the rest of the people. Rod, I'm massively grateful for you joining me today. It's a subject that's close to my heart because I know that I've, I've suffered from it quite extensively at times. And so there's nobody better to kind of talk about this subject with than somebody who lives and breathes it as well. And to the outside, you know, is incredibly successful. So I am really grateful for you doing this today. I'm sure lots of individuals who tuned in will get a lot from it. Um, so it's a pretty open and honest session. So we're going to kind of chat through a few different elements. One of the things that we're going to do is kind of try and explain a little bit about imposter syndrome, why it's not necessarily a bad thing, and also how you can manage it, overcome it so that it doesn't hold you back. Rod, I guess the best place to, to start this off with is how, how does it affect you? How does the imposter syndrome affect you from day to day? Well, the documentary you showed there, the shyness thing. So I think I struggle with it in two ways. One would be personally and I think it is related to the shyness thing I think somebody asked one of the questions was it a few few people asked was it related to shyness do you think and I think I think it definitely is because shyness for me is about feeling like as I said in the clip feeling like everybody's watching you so so feeling like you don't fit in some way I suppose so so if I walk past a cafe and I see loads of people in there working having a coffee whatever on their own in if I'm on my own I can't just go in there and sit down and do it because I I feel somehow like I will stand out. Yeah. And this is nothing to do with um, me being in the public eye or on TV. This, is, this, is good. this goes back to when I was a kid. Uh, this is nothing to do with... Uh, I had the same when I used to work in the Welsh office in the uh, beef premium department in Carmarthen uh, Welsh office um, <laughs> with your husband. That feeling that everybody's looking at and you stand out and you don't fit in some way is essentially what I think imposter syndrome is. So, so, I, so I, I get it just from trying to go in and order a coffee. So there's yeah. that side yeah. of my life, yeah. uh, which means, you know, which has been pretty, um, really a pain, a pain. Um, and then there's the professional side, which is probably more relevant to a lot of people here today. Uh, I'm, you know, you've put this in a kind of professional setting, haven't yeah. you? So I, for, yeah. for me, I mean, you can imagine, I, I am a bloke from Carmarthen in West Wales. You know, I'm just a bloke from Carmarthen who went to a comprehensive school who had no interest in being on the stage or screen, was working in uh, admin for local government, council kind of thing all my life. That's fine, perfectly happy doing that. And then ended up in my mid-30s trying something that I had never in my life considered trying. I'd not, not one moment in my life did I think I'd like to be on TV, I'd like to be on the stage, nothing whatsoever. And because uh, I knew you before I got into all this, and you know, you would yeah. never have heard me. We would never, you never have heard me say, "Well, oh, I want to do that." Um, <laughs> no. So, so <laughs> to end up, you can imagine to end up, say, on TV hosting. Have I got news for you? A show that 
really I associate with sitting with my parents watching it yeah and me being quite young and, and my parents enjoying it and you know and and you're very familiar with that set and Paul Merton there and, his yeah. and the next thing you know you're sat there it's almost like an out-of-body experience yeah. and you're thinking this yeah. this can't be happening this can't be me how, how you know you said how did I get you how the hell did this happen and then the feelings of him being an imposter there and being a fraud and be are really strong and quite debilitating i think they can they I'll, I'll give you i'll give you one one example from my life i was 33 never thought about doing stand-up in my life i had a girlfriend who encouraged me should we say nagged i sometimes use because eight years she nagged me to give it a go she thought i was funny you should try comedy well so i tried it after eight years but the first first thing she did at the age of 27 she took me to a comedy club i'd never been never even been to a comedy club no interest she took me to see eddie Azad in london and i loved it this is the mid 90s and then for years after that she would say you could do that and i'm like are you what are you talking about we've just been to see eddie Izzard in a 1500 seater west end theater with plush red velvet seats he's on stage on his own for an hour what are you talking about i could do that <laughs> i work in the council what are you on about I, of course i'm just i'm a person he's not six years later she managed to persuade me to give it a go and i gave it a go and about three or four years after that, I was invited to headline a festival, 10,000-seater festival, me and Eddie Azad joint headliners. Wow. I said no. <laughs> I turned it down. Because I thought, I can't, I'm not, I can't put myself alongside him. You know, I, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not, even though you might think I am, and you might be willing to pay me to do it and to offer me that slot, but yeah. I, I can't put myself there. So I said no, and never did the... Never did the gig, you know. So, it, so it's, it's that feeling, I think, that you don't deserve to be where you are, uh, that you're... And, and it's all based on a false assumption, I think, because what I've learned subsequently is that Eddie Izzard, for all his hard work and talent and all these kind of... It's just a person. He's just yeah. a person. And I'm yeah. just a person. There is literally no difference between any of us or any of you watching. That's the thing. And that's, that's a hell of a hard lesson to try. I'm still trying to learn it, basically, so that when you're on Have I Got News For You... They're just people around you. There's no, they might have had different breaks, different upbringings, different, you know, better schools, <laughs> better, more money, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah, quite possibly, but they're just a person. Like, you know, that's, and I think yeah. that's, what, that's what stops us sometimes is that we think other people that we see doing things yeah. are in some way special or above people. Yeah. And, they're, and they're not. They're just people who have tried something. Every yeah. single person in the world, with a few exceptions, you know. Yeah. You get your Nelson Mandela's and a few genuine uh, standouts, but most people, <laughs> yeah. most people are just people who've given something a go. That's it. I, I agree. That's a bit of a reality check, isn't it? Really, and and you have to constantly remind yourself of that. That's not, you know. Well, it, constantly remind yourself, of it. and 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 work to remind yourself, and 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 push against yourself, to, you know, and fight, battle yourself to. Yeah. Yeah, that. every day is a battle, you know. Yeah, and some days it for me uh, are kind of easier than others, but but some days it are well, as you say, a bit debilitating. They do hold you back from from doing things, like you turning down that gig with Eddie Izzard, you know. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Strong that you, you don't. Well, do. I, I started off bizarrely. I started off I, because I I wasn't ready to just start doing stand up. So I so I started off. I started going to comedy clubs on a regular basis, and then I started volunteering in a little room above a pub. You know, a little. You know, every village has got one now, and they're a little comedy club. I did it in London. This is when I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll give it a go. Maybe I'll try it. So I started working in a comedy club, 
And one night they had Eddie Izzard come down to try out some new material. And I was working there. So I took his coat, brought him in, made him a cup of tea. I did the lights and the sound, put the chairs out. And I, ha- I remember standing there holding his coat and they had to give it back to him kind of thing. Thank you very much, Mr. Izzard. You know. And um, so the, the organizers of that gig four years later, whatever it was, when they, they offered me the slot, I said, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'll hold his coat. I said, I'll hold his <laughs> coat, but, I'm, but I'm, not, I'm not headlining with him on a stage. And that's where I still see myself. I still see myself as yeah. only fit to hold Eddie Izzard's coat. And um, it's quite profound. A, a, a lot of people watching will think, well, that's right. You're not fit. You're not fit to <laughs> yeah. bootstraps, mate. You know your place. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. You're right. I'm exactly right about myself. I know. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but I think, but it's not. Um, it's not a great way to to live. Ideally, I think. I think. No. Some, somebody's written. Do you allow yourself to feel proud or pleased with what you've achieved? <sighs> um, sort of. Yeah. Sort of. Yes and no. Sort of yes and no. I'm sort of yeah. on some level, yes. I'm. I allow myself to be proud of it, but um, yeah. it's not. It's not celebrated, perhaps in a way that you know. I will. I will never go. Hey, I've got this. I've landed this. I've got this thing. Let's go out and celebrate. No, no. It's a. It's a. It's a low key, under yeah. the surface thing of uh, somewhere. Yeah. 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 I. I. I can definitely relate to that. I can definitely relate to that. Any. Any time I've. Uh, had kind of a, a success in business. Um, I I can't bring myself to share that on any kind of social media. And the only time I've ever managed to do that is either when Rob, my husband, has done it, or I've had a few drinks, and it seemed like a good idea at the time. So it's not something I'm comfortable with at all. So I completely get that from it. And I think it's fair to say, right? When I think about a lot of the business clients I've got, people who are CEOs or directors of, of big organisations. People will be surprised that they suffer it. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. There's lots and lots of people who, who do suffer with imposter syndrome, and it does yeah. kind of affect their daily. Yeah, and, and you you assume that you're the only one. This is this is the problem. Eddie Izzard's probably got it. Probably. You know, I'm not saying he had it about me about that gig, but yeah, <laughs> but, yeah but, probably. You know, but but of course, why 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 wouldn't he have it? Just yeah, because yeah. we just because we assume he wouldn't. Yeah. Of agreed. course he might. Yeah. Of course, of course you might. It's, it's anyone and everyone, isn't it? You know, it's, this is just a human thing. David, should we have a little look at uh, how much people who are online with us now are suffering from, from it? What a kind of regular occurrence that is. Have we got those results? Okay, so some people are obviously having it daily. So 20% of people who are online are suffering from it daily. Okay, so this is telling us a little bit, Rod, about how people, how it's, how it's affecting them. So... This is, is it? I love that. I love that. The first one that caught my eye there is they sort of scrolled up the, 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 the quotes there with somebody's, I, I, feel, I feel like I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to get found out and lose my job. I mean, I think that's one of the most common yeah. ways that imposter syndrome is articulated, isn't it? I, yeah. I mean, way before I was in comedy, it was actually possibly even worse for me in yeah. my old job. Yeah. I was in market research for eight years and a director of the company, and I have no idea how I conned my way <laughs> how I managed to persuade people that I, I had no idea what I was doing I felt yeah. and yet I got promoted I got put up I became a director of the company and all this stuff and I constantly thought any second now the tap on the shoulder is coming and going hey you yeah. you're a complete yeah. fraud there's the door and I, and I lived with that every day and I, that's such a yeah. such a common feeling that you're going to get found out in some way yeah. lots of people here Rod saying that they they cancel invites to events or they don't turn up for things or they they kind of avoid things and i know personally that that happens or that has happened to me a lot in the in the past where i've turned down uh, anything that was kind of um 
opposite to you, everything was kind of public facing. So lots of speaker um, opportunities that I've just said, no, you know, I, I, because it's yeah, so uncomfortable to do that. Yeah, a lot of the, the limiting career progression, nervous. I, I, I've, I've weirdly, I've got a rule now that I, I don't, and this sounds awful because it sounds so lacking in kind of ambition and, and adventure and interest, but I, I don't take any jobs, and I've been doing this for about 15 years. I don't take any jobs now that I think will be really stressful for me. I, I don't deal with stress well. It makes me ill. I don't want to be ill. I don't like stress, so I don't take jobs that I think are going to be very stressful, and, that, and they're generally things that I think I'll feel out of control or stuff like that, so I don't take them. So that's definitely, for me, held me back massively the amount of tv work or things i've turned down um yeah. but i know i know myself well enough and, that, and part of this is just knowing yourself and, and and being comfortable with some of your limitations i think sometimes but to be rather, fair, rather than trying to overcome everything and and, yeah. and be this in, incredible individual i think sometimes you've just got to accept your limitations and go no i don't i don't actually like that stress that will be stressful i will avoid it you know and it's okay yeah. But, but to be fair, you've hit the big time today, haven't you, by coming on this webinar. You know, it, yeah, it, it, I mean, <laughs> almost turned this one down for stress. <laughs> uh, Self-doubt, not confident, fear of being found out. It comes up time and again, yeah. that fear of being found out, I think, and it's so common. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the daft thing is that almost everyone, wherever your work environment, almost everyone in that office is feeling the same thing. Even the, even the person that you're worried is going to find you out, they're worried about it as well. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> true. And I, actually, that's... That's part of the, that's part of kind of the coping mechanisms behind this, isn't it? it it's it's that realization that actually everybody's got some self doubt. About seventy percent of people are suffering from kind of self doubt and imposter syndrome at some time or another. So so that's hopefully one of the lessons that you you, you kind of take from from this session is uh, everybody else probably feels the same. Yeah. Um, I, when I was um, I'm going back now to uh, I'm going back twenty years, but when I was a director uh, of a market research company feeling like a total fraud. I, and I still to this day would argue I had no idea what I was doing. I used to re try and read books and things about it, but I didn't really get it. Um, and yet I'd worked my way up from a sort of, you know, trainee to the uh, director, really. But I used to get, when I used to do reviews of my, our staff, you know, um, I would, it would, people would say that to, to me, that kind of thing, that they feel like a fraud, they don't know what they're doing. I'd go, join the club, mate, you know. We're all in the, I feel exactly the same way. You know, don't worry about me tapping you on the shoulder. I'm worried about my own shoulder. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. There's a comfort in that. There's a comfort. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I think the problem. Yeah, perhaps there is. Yeah. I've got to pick up on this comment here. Hi, Rod. Is there a feeling that others may think who does he think he is? Yeah, especially with stand-up because because it's such um it, it looks like you've got such confidence. It looks like you're so full of yourself. It looks like I mean, and you and you have to give that impression yeah. in stand-up to some degree. Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, that is that is slightly weird. You are putting on a, a front. You are putting on a performance that, that isn't necessarily backed up in your how you're feeling, the nerves and um it says a fear of others being jealous. Also, I've been waiting eleven years to apologize for heckling you at the Dern Gate. That's uh that's yeah. the Northampton Theatre that uh, You've been waiting for that as well, Rod, some new to be fair. You've been waiting for that apology. Yeah, I said flip flop from the gods. I, mean, I have no idea what that refers to, but hey, I've had a lot worse. Let yourself off the hook, Catherine. You're forgiven. <laughs> oh, she's waited a long time for that. <laughs> Eleven years. <laughs> oh, okay, let's let's move on to uh, have a little look at uh, where does it all kind of come from, David? If you can go forward a few uh, slides for me, I think it's the personal iceberg. So yeah, you're not alone. There's plenty of people that have got it. 
Um, and this picks up on that last question, or that last point um, that was made just, just now about who does he think he is? So that, that really gets to the core with me because um, I, you know, when we talk about where does imposter syndrome come from and where does it start and where's the trigger, um, a lot of that can be, um, you know, there's lots of things that contribute, but for me, there's lots of things in childhood that, um, that kind of, um, or the upbringing that have uh, caused it. Um, and what people see at the top there, that personal iceberg, you know, like any iceberg, that tip bit is what we what we see, the language people use, how they behave, how they look. Um, and, you know, back to Rod's clip, when they, when people see Rod on stage, that that's the persona that they that they see and they believe uh, that that's what you are. Certainly when people hear about, you know, inspirational woman of the decade, I can't even say it without laughing, really, but when people hear about some of the awards that I've won, they, they make an assumption or they hear about the castle and they make an assumption of, of the sort of person I am or, or, and they have no idea about all this that's going on below the, the water level. So if I just share with you a couple of my kind of core beliefs, um, my, my parents are really hardworking, kind of uh, farming background, um, so I used to help my dad milk uh, the cows, as did my siblings in the mornings before school. Um, you know, it was all about work on, on a farm. It wasn't traumatic or anything, but it was... So that really strong work ethic was in me from a young age. And I still now have that, which can be limiting and empowering. So it's a good thing to an extent, but it also means that um, I just work and work and work and, and need to kind of be conscious of that. The other strong influence on me from my upbringing is my parents having that very humble uh, way about them which is not unlike a lot of welsh uh, farming backgrounds of never make out you're better than you are you know who does she think she is that mentality so it's a good thing to keep your head down let your results speak for themselves don't try and make out that there's anything special about you so that has carried through with me through my career. Keep your head down, get the work done, get the results in. And now, of course, that has kind of manifested over the years as a bit of imposter syndrome. So when I do something well, I've got that voice saying, who do you think you are going on? Rod, I know that you were saying you know, some of the stuff with you from, from, from an early age, maybe, have kind of shaped, shaped things for uh, you as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, I... I this is awful thing to say because uh, you know my uh, my dad is still alive and uh, my mum would have been horrified by me saying this. You know my brother's still alive, my sister's still alive, and but I I always felt um, and, and let's let's get this other. I love my family to bits. It's all great. All it's all, all good, but I but I um, I always felt like I was in the wrong family. Really, I I my my family are incredibly academic, so off the scale academic like so you know m my dad speaks nine languages and for on a saturday afternoon when i wanted to be watching grandstand or something he would be reading tolstoy in russian uh, you know uh, yeah and then and, and then you know my mother died of alzheimer's but four years before that she was doing a phd in ancient greek um in her at 80 you know it's, it's like that kind of and, I, and I'm not at all, not remotely. I was never academic. I wasn't interested in school. But it was because they were so academic and I couldn't get in. I could, I, you know what I mean? They, they were all just academics. Um, and I wasn't remotely interested. I was much more sort of, I don't know, normal, you know, play football, go on a skateboard. That, you know, I, I was just a regular kid and, want, and, and, and 
So I felt like I didn't really fit in in that family. So I was very quiet, very introverted, and just my mother always used to say they just used to stick me in front of a wall, and I and I would be happy entertaining myself just staring at a wall kind of thing. And and I get I know what she means by that. That I just I just went into myself and and have become all my life very introverted, very solitary, very happy in my own company. Um, and uh, it's, it's um, weirdly, that does, I think that is part where, you know, I, I don't know, I haven't thought about it. I'm not an expert on imposter syndrome at all. I, I, but, I, but it's not hard if you look at a child that feels like he's in the wrong. I used to go to my mates' houses uh, and they'd be, you know, they'd be watching rubbish Saturday night TV and, and I'd be like, this is what I want. This is what I want. I don't want to sit in my house on a Saturday night and everybody's just got their head in some textbook that I've got no idea about, like some French thing or Russian thing. Or that. You know what I mean? It's Saturday night. Can we just stick some crap TV on and chat about nothing? You know what I mean? Just have a yeah. laugh. So I wanted to be them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, so it's not hard, really. If I imagine that's probably where my imposter syndrome came from. Um, on the other hand, you know, it's worked out very nicely for me probably because because it's made me a little bit different and it's not hard in comedy certainly to see how somebody who just lives in their own head and their imagination and who entertains themselves yeah. <laughs> by just sitting in front of a wall and and is and is a little bit different it's not hard to see how that's a real benefit in comedy that you think a little bit differently to people that you've got a little bit different perspective on the world ultimately that's kind of what comedy is in many ways, is just yeah. holding something up and turning it and looking at it in a slightly different way. So I think it gave me probably the skills yeah. that I... And, and the only way I could get through to my family was by making them laugh as well. That was the only way I could get them to look away from the book and, and look at me sort of thing, you know. So I probably developed those skills. So it's not, you know, it's, nothing's ever all bad. No, no. It's so you think that in some ways, there's, there's the benefits that come from it is that you've... It's, it's pushed you outside your comfort zone, but in some ways, going to comedy has allowed you to do something you're naturally comfortable with or more comfortable with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think when I was in market research, I felt like, a to- like all of these comments, I felt like a total fraud, the tap on the shoulder, when you're going to get found out, you don't know what you're doing. Um, I felt that. When I started doing comedy for the first time in my life, I felt I didn't feel like that. When I was just, and I was just, I'm just talking about doing little open mic nights in pubs. You've probably yeah. seen them, this kind of thing, you know, five people in the audience, 10 people, 30 people, room above a pub kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and trying to make people laugh myself. And for the first time, I actually thought, even though that was, would seem to be way out of most people's comfort zones, I actually thought, I, this is, I, I, I kind of know, I kind of, all my life, people have told me I'm funny. It was the only consistent thing they ever said. Like, if I can remember from being a kid on my street, you know, kind of people, little ki- other kids going, oh, you're really funny, you are, you know. And then this girlfriend na- encouraging me, nagging me for eight years. People had always told me I was funny. So, so suddenly I felt I didn't feel like a fraud. I thought, I, this is what I was, I am quite funny. And, and this is, and people are laughing. And it's very hard when people are laughing in front of you, that voice in your head that tells you you're a fraud yeah. Kind of shuts that voice up. Yeah. Do you know what do you know what I mean? Because the proof is right there. If people are laughing, then the yeah. voice that's going, well, you're not funny. So when you're going, shut up, voice, because look at these people laughing. The evidence is right in front of you. You can't deny it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So suddenly I didn't feel like an imposter. I didn't feel like a fraud because I was doing the one thing in life that I thought I could actually do. And I am good at this. And the evidence is right there, yeah. right now. And I can't deny. It was only when I got more successful and I started being on things like if I got news for you and then suddenly you're going, no, I feel like an imposter again now. I feel like a total fraud again. And it's all, it's all back now. And the idea is hard thing. And so it was only with that success it started to come back and it's all it's all there again it's all back with a vengeance you know yeah that's interesting isn't it it is partly rod knowing that kind of self-awareness though isn't it it's, it's knowing yourself well and, and knowing what your strengths are to an, to an extent as in you know often we go through life and we're working on what we think we're weak at you know try in your case you know trying to prove yourself in whatever way that is and We've all got that. We've all we've all struggled to find what our strengths are, I think. But once you do find what you're good at, and often, even if you don't see it yourself, it's what other people tell you you're good at. Mm. The more of that we do, usually that's the kind of game changer. That's where we suddenly start enjoying and get more fulfillment out of, out of things. And that would be the same for, you know, for lots of clients I work with and for, for probably for a lot of people that are, Know what you're good at. Do do that. Do as much of that as you can, or as much of that as your your job will allow you to do, or your life will allow you to do. Because it's it yeah, there's got to there's got to be things, haven't there? There's got to be things that we really deep down believe that we are good at. Whatever we feel about the tap on the shoulder, and you're a fraud, and you're not good at market research, for example. Take my previous life. Yeah. Um, but there were elements of that job that I was good at, you know, um, and. Uh, I think it's finding those things that you deep, but they've got to come from deep down beliefs about yourself. I think that you really are, yeah. uh, that you're doing the thing that you, that comes naturally to you. I think all of us have got some things that we're really good at and it's fo trying to focus on those a bit more, I think, isn't it? I agree. I think that's one of the, it, and, you know, back to the, to the, the kind of question of it, it's not all bad. It's not all bad because it happens to be that, most people who've got imposter syndrome are high achievers, and that's very much because they're always uh, kind of self-critical, always trying to improve, always trying to be better, always trying to kind of probably overthink it, but trying to make sure that, that each, uh, each next step is, is a kind of progression. So it does tend to, to drive people forward. It does tend to uh, be a bit of a recipe for success if you can manage it in the right way. It's a really weird thing, isn't it? Because I think most people would recognise that, that it, that it, you know, a fear of failure and a fear of being found out and all these things, it, it drives you to work harder and it, it, and it, and it pushes you to, you know, or, or whatever it is. With me, I was always, you're always trying to prove yourself to your parents kind of things. So you're, so you're trying to work harder, you're trying to, and, and that's a kind of, you know, it's a sort of weird cycle, isn't it? It's kind of positive in a way, you know, and you get ahead and, and you know, but it's, but it's, I, yeah. Not the best way to live, probably. Yeah, it's you know. balance, isn't it? At what cost, isn't it? And and sometimes yeah. say it's deciding, is it worth the stress and, and effort, and or is it not? And and that is a, I think that's a difficult balance at times. I think I don't always get that right. I'm always pushing. Yeah. Pushing. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. I always uh, get it right either. I talked to you about this the other day when we chatted. I, I said before every gig. I have rituals and routines that I go, because I can see people saying, how do you overcome it, you know, this, kind, this kind of stuff, and what do I do? And well, yeah. Specifically, practically, and this is going to sound mad, or it might not, I don't know. I'm on tour, I was on tour, and I've just done 110 tour shows 
in venues that range between about 1,000 people and 5,000 people a night. I do this, I do it in the shower is where I've got my ritual. It's just because I've got certain things I have to do to get ready for a gig, like have a shower, iron my shirt, whatever it might be. So I've chosen the shower because it's about sort of five or 10 minutes and, and this takes me five or 10 minutes to do. <laughs> it's not as bad as it sounds, this. It's, I run through, I literally have a, almost a script that I run through. So there's 10 points on it and I run through them and I repeat them to myself, almost like a mantra. And they are uh, things to try and help me through that gig, to cope with the experience of going on stage and standing in front of thousands of people and trying to make them laugh and not falling apart. Yeah. Uh, and they are, they, they're, they're born out of, I haven't read them anywhere, I've just made them up, but they're born out of things I've done wrong in the past. Like, like for, and, and, and I think a lot of people will relate to this. When I, when I, especially if you do presenting and stuff, because it's very similar, work presentations, think, you know, um, PowerPoint stuff or whatever. When I walk out on that stage, sometimes my inner voice goes, they all hate you. They all think you're rubbish. Um, so in the shower, before, I, and I've done that so many times, but now I've developed, it's in, my, it's in my 10 things that I tell myself before I go on stage. I'm literally standing in the shower going, when you walk on stage, you may think they all hate you. But there's 2,000 people out there. The idea that they would all be thinking the same thing is is crazy. is is insane. It doesn't make. It's not logical. It doesn't make any sense. Why would two thousand? There's two thousand people out there. No two people are thinking the same thing at, at any one point. One of them's thinking, "Oh, where I got my car keys?" One of them there. One of them's thinking, "Oh, should I get another drink?" One of them's thinking, uh, "I should have gone to the toilet before we came up." There's one thing's for sure. There's not two thousand people thinking the same thing about you. So it's just getting rid of that thought because that's such a bad thought to have such a destructive thought and it will stop me going out on stage so in the shower i'm going do not make the mistake of having that thought so i'm just reminding myself not to make the mistakes i've made in the past and and, and i'm trying to get past that feed there's another one would be because and most stand-ups will tell you this but i think it will also you might relate to it in a business way is that you when you're in a meeting a presentation you always focus on the people who don't seem to be enjoying what you're doing or listening to what you're doing or appreciating what you're doing or agreeing with what you're doing. So you focus on that. In my world, it's focusing on that person who's like this. When all the people, the whole row could be laughing, the whole row could be slapping their thighs and laughing and rolling. But if there's one person sat like this, which it always is, I will focus on them, like yeah. forensically focus on, I'll obsess about them. So I'm yeah. doing my show with one part of my brain, I'm doing the whole show, and the other part of my brain is just obsessing about that one person. Yeah. And I, so in the shower, I tell myself, I call it the donut and the hole. Don't focus on the hole. That, that, he's the hole, that person. Focus on the donut, which is the rest of the laughter, the rest of the people. Smile. Try and focus on that. But yeah. it, it doesn't come naturally. My natural attention is to go to that person, the hole. Yeah. To go to the person who's looking at me, staring with daggers and hates what's going on. And it's, so I've, got, I've got these techniques before the thing, and, and I... And I would do it, if I went into a work environment now and I had a presentation, I would do it now. I would give myself 10, do not do that. Mm -hmm. Remind yourself not to do what comes naturally. And the things that come yeah. naturally are often quite negative and not yeah. helpful. So it's trying to get rid of them before yeah. you walk out. That's, that's what, and I think yeah. that could be useful to people, I don't know. Thank you for listening to Series 1, Episode 6. On episode seven, as this was the first of a two-parter, I'll be continuing this discussion with Rod Gilbert around imposter syndrome. 
hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you do have time, we'd love a podcast review. Thank you so much. And if you'd like to get in touch, please visit our website, elevatebc.co.uk. 